Welcome to Ed Leaders, the podcast covering all the interesting ideas about leadership, strategy, culture, and the business of K-12 education. I'm your host, Luke Callier, and joining me each week in the chair is my co-host and colleague, Matthew Irving. Today's guest is Paul Tees, who has over 20 years' experience in principal roles in large independent schools. And for me tell his story, I'm going to let him tell us about his experiences during this time. So without further ado, let's get to it. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Matt. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you. Tell us a bit more about your journey uh, in education. Well, it started uh, when I was in primary school, uh, an interest in being a teacher, maths and science, but particularly an interest in being a principal. I don't know why, but it just appealed to me. I guess it was so from a very early age then. It was to do with my own uh, positive school experience, I think. So uh, that started a journey. And uh, from year 12, I looked at the best way to become a teacher and a principal. In those days, it was to do a degree first and a diploma second. So my first degree was applied science and a diploma in education at the University of Queensland. Uh, during the degree period, I uh, worked at Toowoomba Grammar School as a resident boarding master. I worked at Ducks Tutorials, which was a tutoring business and ran my own business as well. So from um, prior to graduation, I was pretty keen on uh, committing to the profession. And then I uh, landed at Fairhome College in Toowoomba, a Presbyterian girls school, was there for 11 years, down to A.B. Patterson College on the Gold Coast uh, for four years where, where I was the deputy principal before being appointed the principal at Moreton Bay College in Brisbane at the ripe old age of 37, uh, which was an interesting time. And from there, uh, I moved to New South Wales to, to, to uh, broaden my experiences and horizons, and I've been the principal at Hunter Valley Grammar School for nearly 15 years before finishing up as a full-time permanent principal at the end of last year. A couple of things I want to ask you about there. A.B. Patterson would have been very early on in their journey. Uh, what was that like early on? It was. Uh, the principal at the time was Dawn Lang, um, an experienced educator and a strong leader. Um, clear direction, a lot of clarity around what she wanted for the school and its standards. So we were building a culture in that school from the foundation. Um, so it was in the early days, but that was exciting because we had a pretty much a clean slate to establish the school in the area in the way that we wanted to do that and with Dawn's strong and you know decisive uh, leadership we were able to achieve that. And then later on into Hunter Valley, nice part of the world. Good destination I must admit when I looked at the job application I pictured a school in the midst of vineyards and all of that sort <laughs> I think of thing. everyone does don't they? <laughs> yeah that was a bit that was a bit romantic though but um we did plant some vineyards at the school just so I could feel closer connection to the grapes. But, yeah, it's a lovely part of the world. It's a lovely part of the world. So, Paul, really your journey speaks to, uh, I guess, cult of vocation very early on uh, in life as you're, you're going through through schooling and, and through being a teacher and the like. Um, and, it, that, you know, it sounds very, very clear that you always knew that you were going to end up. But was there a moment where you just had to make that next decision what was that decision-making like to make that leap of, I guess, faith into principalship? The big decision was made when I was at university because I was playing cricket at high levels and I possibly could have gone on to play at, uh, you know, state and national level, but I decided I wanted to be an educator, teacher first and foremost. So that's what there, – there was a, that, that was one of those um, um, pathways or, or, or crossroads that you come to and I chose education 
the decision to become a principal was easy because my first principal, Alan Farragher at Fairhome College, was an outstanding um, principal, and uh, he was mentoring and developing me from basically from appointment. So I, I didn't have any particular points along the journey where I thought, did I want to be a principal or not? Um, Alan had set that pathway up and uh, encouraged me through connections and networks and professional learning and leadership opportunities in the school. So it just seemed to be a natural thing for me that I would go on to be a principal at some stage. And that journey is reflected, uh, I imagine, in your own principalship too, in, in the way that you've, you've mentored and, and shaped, I guess, the, the futures of, of young leaders around you. Certainly. I've had, yeah, I've had um, the privilege of working with some great people, uh, direct deputies and uh, senior executives who have gone on to become principals. And I think that's important because for me, if you're going to get to the executive leadership level, particularly around the head of school, you know, head of sub-school or deputy level, you ought to be aspirational about being a principal because that's, that's the succession plan for principals in uh, schools in Australia. And I think we've got a little bit of a crisis at the moment. So I think it's incumbent on principals to develop the next generation of principals by giving them that real-life experience and opportunity to share in the whole operational, um, you know, side of a school. So, yeah, no, it's it's exciting. I think the development of leaders is one of the most important things we can do as principals. I think that's something that we often talk about is that kind of that, that, that group of executive leaders that you've just mentioned, kind of giving them that wide variety of experience, that, experiences that sit outside of, you know, the normal role of a head of school, uh, you know, budgeting, marketing, brand, you know, those sorts of things. Um, you know, how have you kind of, I guess, shaped that over, over your journey for others? There's a couple of um, levels. First of all is to have the executive staff on the board subcommittees. Um, so my deputy, for example, at Hunter Valley Grammar School sat on all of the board subcommittees, finance, asset management, policy and compliance and... Um, scholarships and so on. So that's the first thing you can do is actually get them into the knowledge of the school about what it is to run a school across all areas. The second, though, is to give them that opportunity. Um, I think uh, some principals uh, don't want to leave their schools. There's for some sort of fear that, you know, while they're away, the you know, troops might play up or something. I'm not sure. But leaving your school for periods of time to leave key executive staff in charge and giving them the autonomy and authority to run the school in your absence is another opportunity. But in just, just dialogue about what goes on in the school and how you deal with difficult parents or, you know, challenging board members or whatever the case may be, sharing that, um, you know, that dialogue with your key executive staff is another way of developing them then, but also allowing them to connect with other people in other schools who have similar roles and responsibilities to learn from them as well. So there's a whole range of layers it's just a case of grabbing an opportunity for your executive staff to help them understand uh, more strongly and deeply what your school is all about and what operational effectiveness actually means. And there's some great examples there, um, you know, in terms of the day-to-day -day influence that you can have uh, on your leaders. And I guess I just wanted to zoom out a little bit. And as we think about, you know, you talked about a bit of a crisis at the moment in terms of the ranks of, of principalship. From a systems perspective, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, schools across Australia, um, I'm thinking about, you know, government, etc. What can we be doing at, at a much um, higher level to, to I guess, foster that, that next generation of leaders? If I can just talk about the independent school perspective, 
um, because I don't feel I've got the authority to speak about government schools or Catholic systemic schools or even Catholic independence. But it seems to me with, you know, um, around 400 to 1,000, it depends upon the classification of what independent is, that we should have our own leadership institute in this country for independent school principals. Uh, we have some very good organisations who are doing work, but uh, in a very cohesive, coherent way, um, we are not developing the next generation of leaders in, in a systematic, organised way. And I think a, a leadership institute for independent schools for aspirant leaders and those who seek to be a principal would be a really good idea. That would be would be the first thing, I think. Um, and second is we have diluted, we've diluted the opportunities for, you know, aspir aspirant principals to go on to be principals because many schools have adopted these very flat leadership structures, distributed leadership, you know, there's a leader for all sorts of operations in a school. So the opportunity for individuals to actually uh, walk in the shoes of the principal is not quite what it used to be. And I think that's another thing we could have a look at is what are our leadership structures and what serves schools best? Because while we have independent boards and principals in this CEO relationship, uh, the buck stops with one person. So I guess the training around that and what's involved is, is what is missing, I think, in this country, a real stark realisation that it's hard work but it's rewarding and fulfilling. So I, I, I don't think we're, we're doing a good job of generating or developing the next generation of principals. And of course, what goes with that, of course, is it's a, you know, deputies and others in school see principals working so hard, such long hours, um, that they think, wow, I don't know that I actually want to do that. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the generation of teachers coming through into teaching, uh, I think have a different view about teaching as a vocation than what maybe you know, teachers in, in, in my day, when I entered the profession, we saw it as a vocation and the hours were, were immaterial to us. We just worked the hours we had to, which sometimes was six and seven days a week. And we didn't begrudge that because it was such, it was fun and it was energising. So I think it's a complex, it's a complex issue, but I think a dedicated leadership institute might go part way to solving the, um, I think, the, the crisis that there will be in succession planning for principals independent schools. And I think that's a really interesting point because I think that's why we why we have started the podcast is because you don't often get the opportunity to kind of hear from or see, you know, experienced leaders like yourself. And I think that's a really interesting point. The other thing which I think that we don't really do that well is really that, that ability for a deputy from one school to go interstate and follow for a principal in another school. We tend to still be only within our schools. And I think the independent sector could maybe do a better job of, of fostering that ability to get outside of your own school. If you're a, you know, assistant head of middle school, maybe you can go and follow, you know, a deputy head or, or a head, you know, in another state for a week. And I think there's, there could be a lot of value in, in trying to nurture that. Well, it's an excellent idea. I got that benefit when I was at A.B. Madison College. The principal there allowed me to go to Sydney for, so I was at Brisbane School, Sydney for five days. I visited three schools, very large schools. I won't name them, but, uh, and I shadowed the principals there for, th for five days. Um, a really rich experience. And I think, you know, that, that is the case. I, I despair because lots of deputies and heads of school, sub-schools and so on, seem to be so ground, da ground down in the minutiae of their work they themselves don't feel they can leave the school for a day or two, you know? They feel paralysed because if 
if they go out of the school, it'll cost them another two days when they come back in the school. So I think a change of mindset about what really constitutes effective preparation for principalship and then how schools have got to be generous in terms of supporting that, but how individuals aspiring themselves have to realise that they can leave their schools and everything will be okay when they come back. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, but I think that's a great. I think that's a great concept is to to leave your own school, and go and immerse yourself into another school, at a level above what your new normal level of operation is, so that you can get alternative perspectives and understandings about what all our, what our schools are really about. And I just just sort of come back to one of your points there, particularly for for those deputies, but also principals. You know, just getting sucked into the day to day minutiae as you described it. Um, you know, I often describe it as the knucklehead stuff and, and that leaders need to carve out sort of time to think, you know, think, you know, do that, that uh, blue sky thinking uh, and, and get out of, the, you know, the, the, the rabbit warren, if you like. Um, you know, what's your advice there about sort of carving out time or, you know, an, an approach where you can actually just move on some of the, the small stuff so you can actually get to the big thinking, the strategy piece? Yeah, that's where experience is a good teacher. But in the absence of experience, you've got to have a clear, compelling purpose. You've got to know what is the point of what you are doing? What's your core work? What is that adds value to kids? You know, so I have a simple barometer. You've got something that comes across your desk and you look at it and say, if I deal with this, is this going to enhance the life of that child in year 10 or year 11? Or You know, am I adding value to what our services and our programs and our activities are? So I go, you know, like this is, and I have to be the gatekeeper. I've got to stop all this nonsense come all the bureaucrats and the agencies and, you know, PISA results having any impact on my school. You've got to be a gatekeeper. So you've got to have a real strong sense of what matters, what your school stands for, where are you headed and what is important. And if, if it doesn't fit that criteria, you just set it aside. The other problem, which is the crisis management is, is, is something going to come across your desk that's a real energy vampire, you know? Is it going to suck yeah. all your energy? So if that, 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 again, is experience, if you can see that's going to happen, you better deal with it, but deal with it quickly. Um, so I think you've got to have a real strong sense of what your school's on about, where is it headed, what's important, what are the priorities, where do you spend your time? And if it doesn't fit that, you just don't deal with it. You, you, you set it aside on that to-do list. Two or three days later, guess what? It drops off because it didn't need your time or energy. So it has a way of resolving itself. But if you don't know what your job is and what your purpose is and what you're there for in the school, and for, for principals, that's different depending upon the, the life cycle of the school, you know. Uh, so, again, that's context. That's leadership context. And where are you at in the school's journey and where do you need to apply your energy? So experience is a great teacher, but then purpose is the other thing which tells you what you're actually going to spend your time on. Something that we've talked about a lot really is something that you've just talked about there, context um, and how important that is, you know, uh, for principals and schools and understanding that context. Is there any kind of advice you give around how you can develop your, your skills around understanding context and you know, especially, you know, going back to when you first started at Morton Bay or when you first moved down to Hunter Valley, obviously there's context that you don't quite understand moving into a new school. Any kind of words of advice around how to better develop that, uh, that, that, that key attribute? Look, good question. And, and so going back to my times at Morton Bay where I was quite a young principal, 
Uh, I think I'd take more time listening. You know, I have some principals called it a listening tour. You know, take a listening tour for six or nine months. I don't know if any principals got that luxury, but definitely do a lot of listening, a lot of talking, a lot of dialogue, a lot of conversations. A colleague of mine would go into a new school and he would ask anybody, tell me three things, you know, that we're doing well, three things that we should turn our mind to. Uh, so I think listening and being patient. Um, the problem when you're a new principal in a school, generally speaking, everybody's ready for you because they want change. You know, generally speaking, they want to tell you what needs to be done. So you've got to be very careful not to jump in, you know. Um, and the other thing, you'll get pressure from people because the previous head is stuck to their guns, maybe uniform standards, it may be, you know, uh, leave, it could be any number of things the previous principal stuck to the guns. Well, guess what happens to the new principal? Those people who wanted some, you know, some leverage and couldn't get it with the old principal are in your office and the new principal goes, oh, here's an easy win, you know, <laughs> but they could actually be creating a, a problem for themselves. So I think a lot of listening and understanding, lots of dialogue. I, at, Mor at Morton Bay College, I had every teacher in. Uh, I set up a, in a schedule, a time frame, and I just got every teacher in to talk to me about their perception of the school. Uh, so I think you've got to take time to understand context. You can only do that through meaningful dialogue um, and, ethical, and ethical listening uh, at the same time, standing that, you know, there's a job to be done, so there's a balance there. But, yeah, I, if I was a new principal starting in a school, I'd be taking my time to understand the school's context what makes people tick, what turns them on, what's important to them, what do they value, you quickly get an idea of context. I mean, you can get an idea of context by walking around the school. I think that, it, you know, our schools ought to be in an immaculate condition, superbly presented. Um, that makes a big statement about what you value and what's important. And it says to kids, you know, we, we're serious here. Uh, we're presenting a learning environment that's rich and and appealing to you guys, and, and they'll respond accordingly. I haven't found a child that won't respond to a really pleasant learning environment. I guess you're in a, a really unique um, position where I think, you know, over the last 20 years, you would have seen the role of principalship change, and there's been a significant sort of shift in, in approach. Uh, and certainly you, you've spoken, um, you know, publicly about the, the shifts of approach, the principalship. What do you think have been the greatest changes, um, you know, over your career in terms of the expectations on the principal, but the, I guess the way they go about it, the way they're positioned, the way they're viewed by the community? The bigger, uh, Probably the biggest impact on the principal is the corporatisation of the boards. Um, you know, in my first school, um, the principal was seen as the educational leader was seen as the operational leader and an incredible amount of authority and responsibility was delegated to the principal, providing they maintained good quality reporting to the board about the operational. But board didn't want to buy into the operations. They just wanted to know how the school was performing. The tenure of principals is very short by comparison. So this has been a big change. Um, the you know tenure of principals is short. It's now under an average of five years. Um, and down towards three years, which I think is terrible. Uh, you know, boards make, put so much time into recruiting a principal, spend money, time, effort, energy, um, you know, and then the principal seems to come unstuck through some issue, which, you know, may only be a small reflection of their total contribution to that school, and they can be, you know, uh, find their tenures um, short-lived. So I think the big challenge for principals now is the corporatisation of boards and that, um, almost microscop microscopic accountabilities that are being um, set upon, you know, principles. So I think that's been a big change. That's not a problem. That's not a problem because I think it's appropriate. 
Uh, it just means that principals have to think differently about their roles and responsibilities. Principals these days are being moved further away from kids. They're being moved further away from teachers. Uh, and so the challenge for a principal now is to do their job at that CEO level, which is very, very important. Schools have to be viable and sustainable. But finding ways to stay keenly in touch with and in contact with the children in the school and their programs and their activities. So you're actually making sound decisions based upon what matters most to the kids. So if you put those two things together, the corporatisation of boards, which I don't see as a problem, I wouldn't like that to be understood that way, but it means the, the next generation principal has to think differently about their role. How do you be a CEO of an educational institution and stay relevant to the children, the teachers and the parents? I think a good question to add or to follow on from that then is around how have you seen that corporatisation of boards and their role kind of evolving and, you know, have you got opinions or views on, you know, where they should be focusing their energy in, in terms of working with the principal? That's a good question. Um, there's a couple of things there. The way, why it's changed is the amount of policy writing and proliferation of policies and the generation of policies and guidelines and uh, business cases, uh, business continuity plans, data recovery plans. You know, and again, I wouldn't say that these aren't necessary, but there's a burden for those. So what's popping up in schools? Schools are appointing their own lawyers uh, or legal and compliance manager or, or whatever. But that's, that's where it's changed is so that the board now see virtually all operational areas of a school as a risk, right? a financial risk or a reputational risk. So the board interest in operations and policies and procedures and, and all of that has changed significantly. So, look, I, I think it's necessary, but, but I think where boards these days still have to focus their energy is on the development of the principle, you know, so principals are appointed to a school that they do not land with all the knowledge and understanding and skills they need for that context. So the board ought to be investing heavily in the development of the principal, their professional learning, their professional connections, um, their opportunities, you know, for growth and development in that school's context. Coupled with that is, is making sure the principal's well-being is intact. We, you know, you've seen the national surveys on principal well-being, and it's a pretty sorry tale. They're down the bottom in terms of, you know, um, or top, whichever way you want to look at it, of their of their well-being. And so, the second thing is then invest in the principal's well-being and their capacity to do the job from a physical, psychological, and and you know, um, um, fitness perspective. So that would be the second. And then for a board to understand that principals in any one day or week could deal with 60 or 70 interactions with people. You know, it's not unusual to have 10 or 12 appointments in a day. Take that out to a week, take out that to a fortnight, take add emails, telephone calls. You're dealing with five or 600 interactions in a week. One or two of them are going to go awry. <laughs> you know what? You're not, you know, it's a four o'clock appointment and you've been a bit strong-handed with the parent in the response. They complain. Where do they complain to? Because the grievance procedure says... Got a problem with the principal, you go to the board, and the board are hearing something in isolation. And, and I think what's incumbent on boards now is to understand that in the full context of a principal's role and, and, and find a way then, you know, to affirm the principal's role and work with the principal. So I think more than ever that it is important that boards focus on the development of their principals 
and their well-being and then their support. And, and in there, therein lies uh, longevity of the principal, which is in the interests of the school. Principals will tell you their best work is done in their 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th year. The current view of boards is that that's too long. We need a new principal after 10 years. But they're probably doing their very best work in that school. I guess the follow-on question from that, just while we're still talking about boards, is you know, how have you, as the principal, helped shape your boards? You know, did you get that opportunity along the way and, and did that help? you in kind of delivering, you know, excellent kind of leadership? Yeah. Look, I have. I've been very fortunate. But that's a two-way process. I've benefited from the expertise that directors have brought to the boards. And so that has been something that's really important. So the boards I've had, particularly at, at Hunter Valley, have worked on a skills matrix model, you know. So they bring onto the board expertise that can actually enhance the school's operations. So, so that would be the first thing is that you actually – try and engage with the board members so that their skill set can support the growth of the school. The second is, and, and I, I don't like the arguments about governance, and leadership, operation and all that, it's the principal's job to give the board as much information as you possibly can about the operations of the school so they understand fully the context of the school and your school in particular. So I think sharing quality information, reliable information with a board is important. Um, when you're discussing strategy and vision, which has to be the, 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 you know, the work of the principal, the CEO, when you're talking strategy and futures and direction, bring the board into those conversations. So I think rather than trying to manage the board, you, you are trying to build a relationship of education, uh, mutual benefit, understanding about the school's purpose and its intents and where you're headed. And through that develops a very good relationship with a board where you you know, the board feel it's enjoyable and rewarding to be part of the school board and the principal feels they're tapping into some expertise uh, that otherwise they wouldn't have, you know, in terms of the leadership of the school. So, so there's really an opportunity I, here, um, you know, can, a much more shared approach, I suppose, you know, in, in, in terms of where, where the council sits and in developing strategy and co-designing and you just sort of you talked about that that idea of relationship and it's actually grounded in a in a much deeper dynamic relationship than perhaps previously, um, you know, it, as it existed. Um, what's your what's your kind of tips for really creating that really strong partnership with with the, the the chair, I guess, of the board to ensure that there's space for for principals to to work and develop those broader relationships. Yeah, just quality communication. Your board, you don't want the board chairman or the board to be to get surprised, you know, or, or have surprises. So. You know, really good quality communication. I'm thinking aloud on this one, you know, wondering what you think about that. We may need to do this. What do you think? So I just think real quality communication, which could be chair to, chair to principal or principal to board, uh, it wouldn't really matter. It's, it's easy these days with emails and other platforms to just share your thinking and your ideas. Giving the board an update on the first day enrolments, you know, so we, we've started back. You'd be pleased to know we've hit the targeted enrolments. You know, those sort of things are really easy. So I think it's just quality communication, being really transparent, being really open. You know, don't keep any secrets from the board because that's really going to burn you. Um, so, yeah, I think it's open ethical communication. That's um, good listening on both parties. That that works the relationship. Quality information has got to be quality. You know, you don't want to waste director's time. You don't want to be, you know, uh, sitting at a board meeting, taking two hours over your principal's report and or then forgetting if you know you didn't tell them something at the board and then send a 30 you know email that takes 30 minutes to read boards are going to lose interest very quickly if you if you don't 
manage the quality communication. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a combination of both quality, succinctness, clarity and, and, and understanding. Something that um, I've read a bit about through your LinkedIn profile is kind of that work around branding for schools. Uh, something that I'm particularly interested in, I guess, just wondering, you know, your thoughts on how increasingly difficult it is or has been to differentiate uh, your point of difference as a school. I, I think the image management and brand management is one of the critical functions a principal has in an independent, independent school. And you can't delegate that. You'll have a marketing communications team or whatever support you might get in your school, but you have to lead it. So I don't think it's hard to make a distinction between my school and the one down the road. If I just talk about where we were at Hunter Valley Grammar, we had government schools, Catholic schools, low-fee-paying Anglican, um, high-fee-paying schools and high-fee-paying independent schools. They all serve different demographics. They all serve different people. They have different values, different beliefs, different programs and facilities. I don't think it's too hard to find your point of difference. I just don't think principals and their executive teams spend enough time in saying what is unique about us. You might have a particular philosophy, a Montessori or otherwise. That's not the end of the game. The end of the game is, well, we are a Montessori school, but we, we are this school. So what is different about us? Why why should anybody invest in us? So I don't actually think brand management is too hard um, if you get good, good core messages about who you are and how you're different. I know in your school, you'll look around. Yeah, there's plenty of independent schools to choose from and you have, have competitors, but, the, but you're unique, right? You are actually unique because different faith or non no faith or, uh, you know, 150-year history or, you know, single sex or um, you serve a, a professional demographic or, you know. So I think if, if you're prepared to spend time, and there are experts out there in the field who will do this, um, Image 7 is one that comes to mind. They've got, you know, they operate out of Perth and Sydney and so on. Um, they can help you do the exercise, but I actually don't think it's that hard. But brand management is terribly, terribly important because there can be no dysfunction between what your messages on your website and other publications are saying between what you are doing every day in your school. Parents now are going to call you out on your values if the principal or somebody else is not modelling those values every day through their interactions and communication. So you just, in these days, you have to be who you say you are. So get Get the who you are first and then make sure your messages are delivering that. Don't do it the other way around. And I think what's really interesting about all of those little differentiators that you've just described there, you haven't described academics. And, and I, I think too often schools kind of tend to go, oh, we're academically focused or you know, yeah. academics is our point of difference. And it's kind of like I think that that's really not, you know, that useful as a differentiator anymore. I think it's I think the challenge is for people that work in a school is to get past that as thinking that, well, the way that we do things for the, for the academic side of things is our point of difference. Yeah. Like there's a bit of danger in academics because if you say we're this academically, you're going to have parents then interacting the league tables. And every year you're going to have this argument around HSC or ATARs or whatever. And that's not sustainable because we know many of our independent schools are relatively small. Small cohorts, maybe 50, 70, 80, and the results each year are volatile. They have not, like, you, you have one teacher and this year might get eight of the best results in the state. The same teacher, same practices generally, same understudies next year might get none. 
So the academic line is a really hard one to sustain. Indeed, we all need to do well academically. I think what, what, what my, our measure has always been and my measure has always been is the quality of the graduate. Very simply, can, can the graduate hold a conversation with you as an adult? Good morning, how are you? And, you know, that to me is a measure of, of your holistic education. Can they sit in a room at a job interview with three or four adults who maybe double their age and some older and engage in conversation and not that appropriate conversation? The, the sort of metaphor would be the strong handshake, you know? So, and that could be male or female. So I think I don't like the academic line because it's, you, you just open yourself up to league tables and a constant um, defence of your results every year. Whereas if you go to what are your core values and what's your purpose, which is the quality of graduate and the attributes the graduate has, uh, that's it, it may be harder to manage, but it's very visible because the parent of a year three student listening to the year 12 on presentation day talk about their experiences in the school is far more profound than uh, that, I, I got a 99.9, you know? School captain, I got a 99.9 school captain articulating what they got from the school and the benefit of the school and engaging with a parent is far, far more um, uh, sustaining than the other. So I've always been on about the quality of the graduates. Really? And I think what's really good about that, Paul, also is that, that you know, in your experience and, and in the, your imparting of wisdom now is that you're shaping that idea of what truly matters. Yeah. And, you know, I think as, as we look to the next sort of five years, 10 years, the next generation, um, you know, schools need to think about what truly matters. And I think that idea of character, you know, that, that idea of global citizenship and, you know, ethical responses and, and the like are going to be the things that matter. What else do you think matters, um, you know, in the next five to 10 years that principals really need to have an eye on? Uh, I despair because the, um, the social media tale is really hurting schools in terms of sustaining their core values and beliefs. And the, you know, sort of almost the the, the parenting um, challenges, the challenges for being a parent in this day and age with that social media, and it, it, I know it's a, it's a whipping boy, I don't mean it to be, but the challenges for principals to, in the next five years is to be absolutely stoic about what their core values and beliefs are and having the courage and the conviction to put the hand up, you know, and hold the line when people want to cross that. That, I think, more than ever, we need courageous leadership, um, people who are leaders who are resilient, people who've got grit, um, and, and, and they really have to know what are their core values and beliefs. How are they reflected in the school? Or how is the school core values and beliefs reflected in them? And hold the line. Because we are independent schools, about fifteen percent of the country children are in in independent schools. Uh, overall, fifty percent in high schools in large cities. So, we have a job to do, I believe, in terms of, of of saying, you know what, we have standards in this country, we have expectations, we have we have um, core values. And the trouble with Australia, of course, is what are they? You know, really, what is it to be Australian? And you know, unfortunately. You get images of, um, of barbecues and, you know, all those sorts of things. So I think independent schools have the job to say, well, this is what it is to be Australian and this is what it is to actually have standards. And if your principals and leaders aren't holding the line, 
uh, I think we'll fall for anything and fall for everything, and we lose our we lose our purpose. So the challenge I think for the next four or five years is to say, well, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. This is what our country needs. Because you touched on that, Matt. Our country needs a, a generation of graduates who have strong ethical, strong values about citizenship, strong about what it is to be, you know, part of a world that in places is in crisis and in, in other places is, is rich and doing really well. So we won't solve the global global uh, problems, climate, anything else you might want to add to that list without graduates, um, you know, who have those attributes. And that's a principal's job as a leader of a school to see that that is being nurtured in their schools. Uh, and sadly, to do that, you've got to have some standards and you've got to hold your line. And I think my next question probably might relate to, to some of the things you've just talked about. But I guess over the journey of your of your your time at Hunter Valley and more than before that, what are the things that you're probably most proud of in terms of, I guess, the legacy that you've left behind there? I think, the, um, and it's a bit hard to say because you're talking about yourself, but I think it's the, the connections that you make with all levels of your community and the value you assign to all members of your community. So I think as I've left, you know, I think they would say, you know what, Paul was actually interested in me. Uh, he was interested in who I was as an educator and as a person. Um, you know, all the interactions, even if it was a tough interaction, um, I still felt that, you know, I was uh, affirmed. So I think probably, you know, my legacy hopefully would be about building community and valuing people irrespective of what their role in the organisation is. I think I was pretty good at affirming any employee because the part they played in the overall success of the school was important. So... I just hope, you know, people would say, well, he was a coalition builder, he's good with people, or, you know, I felt it was good to be part of his school, or, which, you know, I, I would never call it his school, but if you're asking me, that's probably ha what I would hope people would say, that he's had an impact, um, there is a legacy there, you know, he's left us with some lessons and and some um, approaches and, and ways to go about doing our business that are clearer and, and more meaningful um, due to his, you know, his involvement in the school. I don't think buildings are anything to go by. I think it's the impact on people which matters most. And what has sustained you during your career uh, as a principal and leader? Oh, I, I think just energy for the job. I love it. You know, it's a great job. It's a vote. It's you know, I, I just enjoy every day. I enjoy all the interactions. Doesn't matter if they're tough. You'll have a whinge to your deputy or you know behind closed doors. But what sustains me is just the job. It's so, such an exciting job. Every day is different. Every interaction is different, um, so they can be inspiring. But also, you've got to have a good personal life. You've, you've got to have your own interests and activities outside of the school. I mean, you've only got one life, so it all it's all part of the same day or week. Just be in the moment with what you're doing. Try and be in the moment. If it's teaching a class, enjoy that opportunity. You know, So that's what I've tried to do to sustain myself and just really enjoy my work and find the joy out of it. Um, if the joy goes, you have to move on. If you lose the joy for your job, you've got to go and do something else because it's not fair to the kids and the teachers. If you're staying in the role and you're miserable, you know, and you can't find joy in your work every day, you've got to go. I think we've all come across a, a teacher at some time that's, uh, or a staff member or a colleague that's probably lost the joy. Uh, well, I want to kind of uh, get to the last kind of segment, which we call Quick Fire Five. Uh, it's kind of one word or idea um, uh, around these questions, so I'll crack onto those. Um, one trait that all leaders must have. Oh, grit. 
Rick, I like it. Just reading that book by Angela Duckworth at the moment, actually. Yeah. Uh, one word to describe your perfect executive team. Well, they need to be independent. Know your job. like that. One measure of a strong school culture. Um, the look in the eyes of the students when they greet you. What does student success look like? A firm handshake. And one book worth reading. The 5am Club by Robin Sharma. Do you know it? I have to look that up. The Victory Hour, 5am till 6am in the morning. I, I've, I've learned that recently, 5am to 6am. I've got two kids under three, so I know that that's the only hour I get. I don't know, I don't know what the book's about. But. One of the best books you'll read. All right, I'll have to get that on the list. Absolutely. Look, Paul, I really want to say thank you for coming on the show. That brings an end uh, to the show for today. I hope uh, the audience has enjoyed our little chat with Paul. I know I've found it really insightful, picked up some really good nuggets of information there, Matt. Absolutely. Been wonderful and great insights and, and wise counsel. Been fantastic. Uh, for the audience, Paul, uh, if they want to connect with you, where's the best place to find you? Oh, look, LinkedIn um, or my email's tsp at yahoo.com.au. Happy Great. to hear from anybody that uh, wants to have a chat. Excellent. Paul, thanks again uh, for giving up your time. Remember, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player and tell a few of your colleagues that if you listen to Paul talking some amazing things about leadership but also this great podcast called Ed Leaders. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Go well. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Luke.